Welcome to Conversations for Life, a marriage and family podcast from Cross Life with hosts Jonathan and Kathleen. Each episode, we sit down and talk about the things that matter most to those that matter most to you. We're so glad you're with us today. Please pull up a chair and join in the conversation. Hey, everyone. Welcome back. Today, Jonathan and I are talking about integrating faith into our family life. And this is basically the core of who we are here at Cross Life. And it's the burning question for believers who want to help establish lasting faith in their children. And Jonathan, you just preached a sermon on this very topic. So tell me, why is this important? Yeah, well, um, as we know, you know, no parent can control the choices that their children will ultimately make as they grow into adulthood. Uh, but nevertheless, the research is clear that the most critical element for a child's faith development is how that faith is lived out in the home. So if mom and dad want little Johnny or Sally Sue to be a Christian, the most critical element for that to happen is that they are experiencing the integration of Christian faith into their family life. Now, this certainly includes activities like reading the Bible together as a family, praying together, take, talking about faith and about God. Uh, but it's much more than that. It's also all the thousands of the big and little ways that faith shapes the dynamics of the marriage and the family. And you know, this isn't excluding church involvement. In fact, it's, it's really the opposite because families where faith is being ingrained into the, uh, the, the, the life of the home are also families who are actively involved in a local church. Right, yeah. So these are really important activities for us to be doing as individuals and as families with our church family uh, with our community, uh, we must be reading the Bible and praying and worshiping and learning and studying and being a light in the darkness. Um, these are all really vital, but none of these things in isolation equals us and our children walking in faith. Faith is more than just the sum of acts that we do. Faith is fed by these things. It will starve without them, but we can't simply do a bunch of activities and consider that our job as primary disciples of our children is checked off the list, right? So uh, why might families struggle with integrating faith deeply into every aspect of their lives? Well, you know, of course there are a number of reasons, but I think one of the biggest is that parents um, are not being equipped or empowered toward this end. You know, I think there are a lot of parents who want this to be true of their families. They want to integrate mm. faith uh, better into their family life. But I feel like, you know, from anecdotal stories of talking with folks and just from what I've seen, uh, that a, a lot of parents feel like they don't have that support or the guidance that they, that they crave, they want from their faith community. And, you know, this is where we come in. This is where Cross Life comes in. It's our mission uh, to empower and equip married couples and parents to cultivate life in the home. Because I, I, I believe that this is a critical need in the church globally today. And, you know, when speaking specifically to Americans, uh, you know, many of, of, of the ones I speak with, well, they're supporting missionaries and outreach work in their, in their local communities. And um, I ask them, you know, what kind of church do they want to see here in America in 20 or 30 years? Um, you know, is our generation, are we leaving a legacy of faith so that the church of the next generation here in the U.S. is able to faithfully carry out its identity and its mission as God's church? You know, I, I, I think that, quite frankly, there are warning signs all over the place that we are not doing this. 
whether it's the number of children who are growing up in the church and walking away from their faith or the lack of basic Christian maturity among high school graduates. You know, they've spent their entire childhoods in church. And, and, and yet, what, what is their maturity level and their, their faith maturity and their integration of their faith into their identity when they're graduating? So I think we're producing, I feel like right now, a, a future generation of American believers that is not well-grounded in basic Christian beliefs and values. Yeah, and that's a wake-up call, isn't it? Um, we, we don't seek to be alarmist or reactionary. That's not what we need to be as Christians because we serve our all-powerful God. But we do need to be wise and aware and discerning. And as the church, we have a job to do, and we need to do it right. The hard data, as well as anecdotal experiences, show us that um, we do have a need to examine our ideology and methods for growing children up in the faith. Are we doing it in a way that produces lasting fruit? Yeah, and uh, you know, just a few weeks ago, I was speaking with a college campus minister and and he was he was kind of surprising me about without me even saying anything uh, he was seeing the same thing on, on college on the campus where he works and he told me that typically he finds a level of of incorporation of faith and, and knowledge about their faith among students who have grown up in Christian homes to be a little different than a brand new believer. So just think about this. I mean, he was telling me essentially that someone who the church has invested in for eighteen years has the same level of, of faith maturity or development as someone who's just become a believer. Mm-hmm. And, you know, this echoes, uh, I, I recently read or reread actually a book called Soul Searching uh, who, by a guy named Christian Smith, who's not just an author, he's a, he's a researcher. And, and so what he says here is not just his own pontification, but it's, it's his, his summary of the results he sees when he goes out and talks to high school youth Um, you know, believers who are evangelical, Catholic, whatever. And here's what he says. He says, "Um, I would suggest that the de facto dominant religion among contemporary U.S. teenagers is what we might call moralistic therapeutic deism. That the creed of this religion sounds something like this. First, there's a God who exists and who created and orders the world and watches over human life on earth. Secondly, that God wants people to be good, nice, and fair to each other as taught in the Bible and by most world religions. Third, that the central goal of life is to be happy and to feel good about oneself. And fourth, that God does not need to be particularly involved in, in, in one's life, except when you know he's needed to resolve a problem. And then finally, that good people go to heaven when they die. And you know he interviewed uh, hundreds and uh, of teenagers across the religious landscape, and this is what he came down to. So, you know, I think this this describes quite frankly a lot of my own experience in youth ministry uh, about kids who really fail to to grasp a distinctively Christian faith and identity. And so, I think that we are at a critical junction as the church here in the U.S. Are we going to get serious about training up our children in the faith so that we leave a legacy of a healthy church behind? Or are we just going to give up and say, well, that's just the church in America is done for, I guess. Yeah, and of course, the church around the globe um, has the same choice to make. How are we going to tell to the coming generation the glorious deeds of the Lord and His might and the wonders that He has done, to quote Psalm 78? Yeah, and you know, based on our experience in, in Taiwan as missionaries, I think what we saw there is that the needs you know, of the church outside the U.S. for equipping and for empowering 
um, are great because you know most of these faith communities are fairly young, and so and they just don't have the kinds of resources and equipping ministries that we take for granted here in the U.S. And so. To me, Cross Life, we're, we're, we're a global ministry because we know how, how much these resources and, and, and desire to integrate faith into family life is, is so strong around the world. So, um, Jonathan, what would you, how would you encourage parents who want to help their children grow in faith? Yeah, I mean, it's one thing just to talk about the problem, right? It's another thing to, to offer suggestions about what we can do about it. And the first thing I, I, was, I, would, I would want to encourage parents with a paradigm of developing faith in their children um, that, quite frankly, is a general paradigm about affecting change in anyone, but it applies great to parents who want to help their children grow in faith. And this paradigm is, is this, that the way to help others grow is to focus first and foremost on growing yourself. So the way to help others grow is to focus first and foremost on growing yourself. And so what this means is that the more that we grow and are growing right now, well, then the more we're going to be able to positively influence our kids' growth. Yeah, that that probably sounds very new or even counterintuitive to some people. So I think um, it'd be good to talk a little bit more about how this can be the case. So when you've talked about this before, you've related it to Genesis 1, 26 through 28, which is uh, the part of the creation story when God creates the first human beings. And so I'll, I'll just read that right now. This is Genesis 1, 26 through 28. Then God said, Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and over the birds in the sky and over every living thing that moves on the ground. So, Jonathan, can you talk some more about this passage, especially as it relates to this paradigm of how a parent's own self-growth is the most, most effectual means of helping their children's growth in faith? Yeah, so of course this, this, these three verses are huge in terms of Christian faith and teaching about uh, the, the human beings and who we are and, and, and that we're made in God's image. But I think that you know, the key takeaway for us in, in this discussion about, par- about parenthood and the paradigm that to help others grow, focus first and foremost on your own growth, is that God created human beings to be His image bearers. Now, without going into details of how uh, lots of folks throughout history have interpreted what it means that we are made in the image of God, I'll just say that that uh, my definition is that to be made in the image of God means that God created us uh, to be conduits of His character. That God created us in His image in the, in, in the way, in the sense that we are designed to be conduits of His character. So now, uh, what is a conduit? Well, a conduit, its purpose is to transmit something from a source to a destination. So think about power lines. Power lines are a conduit of electricity. They connect to a source, like a power plant, and then they transmit the, the uh, electricity that they receive from the power plant to a destination. So your home or my home, streetlights, etc. And so human beings were like power lines. That God created us to be conduits of His character. So this means that our purpose as human beings is to, is to be connected to a source, which is God, and then to transmit his character to a destination, 
which is creation. And we see this right here in this passage, uh, because what does God say immediately after he says that he's going to make us in his image? Well, he says that we are going to have dominion over his creation. So what this means is that God wants us as his image bearers, as conduits of his character, to extend his character into all the world. I love that statement. Being made in the image of God means we are conduits of his character. I think that's really full and rich, and it's holistic. It involves our whole person. And as, as Jonathan, as you've said before at other times, a lot of times when people try to explain what it means to be made in God's image, they can tend to focus in on one aspect, like, um, you know, the core of this image in us is our rationality or our morality or our capacity for relationships mm. or our creativity, you know, and... and um, these are true and great things to uh, study and try to understand, but you can end up too focused on lists of attributes or too focused on functionality. And I think what this description does is it shows us who we are as image bearers and what our purpose is. Mm. And Amen. Yeah, yeah. And I'd actually love to hear you just talk a little bit more about extending his character into all the world. Yeah, so, you know, I think the the, the simple way to put it is that God designed us in all aspects of our being to communicate all aspects of his being in a relative sense into all the earth. And, mm. you know, when God made uh, the, uh, creation, I think a lot of readers mistake that all of creation at, in, uh, after Genesis 1 uh, was like the Garden of Eden. But that's not true. Mm. God made the Garden of Eden because it is the Garden of Eden. It's, it's, separate out, it's separated out of the rest of creation. And it's ordered and it's brought into a beautiful harmony for Adam and Eve to live in. It's productive. They have everything that they need there. Uh, but creation um, outside, of the, uh, outside of Eden is wild. It's untamed, which is, God, which is why God says here to Adam and Eve, they are to go out and subdue it and to fill it. It's, it's untamed. And, that, and you know God could have done it himself. Yes, God could have made the whole world just like the Garden of Eden with, with, with a snap of his fingers. But because God is gracious, he willingly allowed, uh, he created human beings to, to do that for him, to have the privilege of, of being part of extending God's character and his presence into all creation. Mm, yeah, that's wonderful. Thank you. That's really helpful. Um, and so that was the beginning. That was the, the creation mandate. And then there was the fall, and this image is corrupted and perverted by the fall, right? Yeah, so you know, we, we, we affirm that uh, a typical way of describing this, uh, this, uh, the effect of the fall is it's called total depravity. And what total depravity means is that because we are made in the image of God in all aspects of our being, and we were designed to know God, that when we rejected God, when Adam and Eve rebelled and humanity was cut off from God, our source, that every aspect of us as human beings was corrupted, was affected by sin. So it doesn't mean we're as bad as we could possibly be, but it means that every aspect of human nature is, is, is corrupted. And our purpose on earth of extending God's kingdom is frustrated. You know, power lines disconnected from the source... Um, you know they can't function right, and then at the same time, instead of instead instead of wanting to extend God's kingdom and God's character, we wanted to make it all about ourselves and extend, mm. you know, make ourselves God. Yeah. And so um, the effect of the fall are enormous. And as Paul would say in Romans five, you know, the, the greatest of them, of course, is just uh, universal sin and death. Um, and so the marvelous news, though, of course, is that the gospel that Jesus died, Jesus came because of our, of our sinful estate, that we were cut off from God and helpless to do anything about it, but that God sent him to die to save us. And in doing so, 
The image of God that we were, that was corrupted by the fall and frustrated by sin is made new. And this is why I love 2 Corinthians 5.17. It's one of the first verses I memorized as a young Christian. That Paul says, we, uh, if anyone is in Christ, they are a new creation. The old um, has gone and the new has come. And you know, a few chapters earlier, in 2 Corinthians 3.18, he says it this way. He says, we all, the, the, the believers who believed in Jesus, we all who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory, we are being transformed into His image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. So the image, what Paul is essentially saying is here is that the image of God that we were created with, which was corrupted and frustrated by the fall, it's renewed in Christ. And so our purpose as believers, we are now renewed image bearers. And our purpose is to grow more and more like Christ. So as believers, as we grow more and more into the image of Christ, what does that mean? It means that we will more effectually communicate God's character into the world around us. Mm-hmm. Now, this is our calling as all believers, right? As we grow more and more into the image of Christ, we are going to be better conduits of His character. So this means we'll be better influencers uh, uh, for others around us for Christ. And of course, it, it applies first and foremost within our marriage and our family. Um, so that, you know, what's important here is that the, the connection between Genesis 1, 26 to 28 and the paradigm of growing ourselves to more effectually help others grow is that as renewed image bearers of God, which is what a Christian is, we will most effectually influence our kids' faith by ourselves becoming more like Christ. So as we grow like Christ, we will more effectually help our kids grow in their faith. Mm, that is wonderful. Thank you. Um, and yeah, in Romans eight twenty nine, it says, For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And so you see that right there, being conformed to the image of his Son. That's what's happening as we're being sanctified, as, God, as the Spirit is working in our lives. And, um, and that's a work in progress right now, but at Christ's mm. return, that will be completed. Amen. And we, yeah, and we are counted as brothers and sisters to our firstborn brother, Jesus. And uh, Jonathan, mm. as you said in your sermon, we're going to look so much like the sun that there's a family resemblance, you mm. know, and, and it's, uh, that, that's an amazing thought that we are actually going to, you know, right now, God looks at us and sees Jesus's righteousness. Mm. Um, Jesus' righteousness covers us, but we are going to actually be righteous mm. um, through and Amen. through in the new heavens and the new earth, and that's mm. a really exciting thing. We will be completely um, conformed to the image of His Son. It's amazing, isn't it? It is amazing, <sighs> really. That He could look at us and call us brother and sister because we'll look so much like Him. And it's all a gift of God. Yeah, it's a, it's it's a truly amazing thing. It's it's a, it's an astounding thing to think about that we will look like. The Son of God. Yeah. Amen. <laughs> yeah. So, um, so we, we could keep diving deeper into that, and that would be really fun, but, um, but I think we should move on to a practical level. What does this look like for parents in everyday life? Yeah, I know. We could, we could talk about that, uh, you know, for the new heaven, the new earth, and just, I mean, amen, just worship <laughs> that all days, day. Yeah. Yeah. But, uh, but, but practically speaking, one thing is, is that we as parents, we need to see our work through the lens of image bearing. And this, especially because it helps us see the holistic nature of spiritual formation. You know, um, helping my kids grow in their faith 
it, this isn't something that is separate from my calling as, as just a renewed image bearer of God. It's a part of that calling. And so it, it involves all aspects of, of life and of who I am. Every part of me as a human being is connected to being in the image of God, to be an image bearer. So the mental and the emotional, the relational, the psychological, the physical, the mm. spiritual, the recreational, and so on and so forth, every aspect of us is, is, is stamped with the image of God and is involved in the process of becoming more like Christ. And so when we talk about the paradigm of growing ourselves in order to most effectually help our children grow, we are, we are, we are, we're, of course, talking about things like church involvement and prayer and Bible reading, but we don't want to bifurcate these things and say, okay, well, these are the spiritual things that we need to do to help our kids grow in their faith, but then ignore everything else. Every aspect of who we are comes into play when we're talking, talking about influencing our kids' growth, because every aspect is tied to us as image bearers of God. Absolutely, yeah. And so the spiritual activities are really important. They're vital. As I said before, they feed our faith. Um, but it's also vital how we handle all the other quote-unquote non-spiritual things. Mm. Because the reality is um, there's no necessary divide between the quote-unquote sacred and secular things of life. All things are God's things. Mm. And we're called Amen. to glorify God in whatever we do, whether we eat or drink or play or work. The scripture makes this very clear. We work as though working for the Lord. So building up faith in our home means that we must integrate these truths into every aspect of our lives. So what does that mean? Well, the vision and motivation that we give our kids for academic and career success, that must mm. be in line with God's truth. Amen. So what kind of ambition and success is God pleased with? How should our wealth and influence be gained, and what purpose should it serve? Now, this is an idol that's clutched very tightly in, in many people's hearts. You know, mm. no one can dare tell me what to do with my money and my success. This is my life, my path. But God dares. Uh, <laughs> and, Amen. you know, as we walk mm. our children through their schooling, whatever kind of schooling that is, um, we are implicitly teaching them every minute what is the value and purpose of their education and their success. And so, you know, right now, showing how much you value your children's academic success, uh, you know, and, and what they do with that, that's teaching them something. Mm. That's teaching them about their purpose, and that's, that's discipling them in some direction. And then to go back to a subject we've been discussing a lot, our bodies. What vision do we give our children about their bodies? You know, do their bodies mm. and our bodies serve the purpose of making us as a family look good at church and in photos? Uh, do they serve the purpose of letting us live vicariously through them as they win athletic competitions or look mm. beautiful in a prom dress? Um, you know, looking good and winning things is great, but our covert, implicit emphasis on certain things will come through loud and clear mm. to our children. And um, what we need to be guiding them toward is how can our bodies glorify God? Wow, yeah, that um, our covert, implicit emphasis on certain things, you know, coming... Uh, coming through loud and clear to our children. That that's why this is um, so vital. Because if if we as adults, if we think uh, that we can just sort of slap Christianity on top of a life that is not at all being lived for God, our 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 children will see that, and and they'll know it. So if we're living for something else, and, and this is I think the the, the second biggest prior, uh, biggest application, practically speaking, is that if we are living for anything else. Uh, besides God, uh, that will be loud and clear to our kids, no matter what Christian activities we might involve mm -hmm. them in or ourselves yeah. in. And so, you know, if 
if God is not first in our life, and if growing in our own faith is not our first priority, then we really should not expect our kids to grow up to be adult believers. I mean, it is not at all a one-for-one. One. I know lots of uh, amazing, godly uh, adults whose, whose kids have, have gone wayward. So, of course, it's not a one-for-one. One. But I'll say this. If we as parents are not pursuing God first and foremost in our own lives, if we're not growing in our own faith, then why would we expect our, own, our kids to? You know, why would we, why would we buy a, a, you know, a, a book or whatever or take our kids to Sunday school to learn more about God if we're not learning about God ourselves? Yeah. And so I think that's... Um, Again, with this whole paradigm, if, if we want our kids to be growing in their faith, the, the, the most effective means we have of doing that is, is growing our own selves in our, in our faith. And, you know, this also means, of course, that this is something that as parents we can't just punt to the church to do for us. That the church, it can support our work, and, and that's a huge ministry of the church, actually, is that as a community that we invest in the faith development of the kids who are in that community. But they don't replace my responsibility to be the primary faith influencer of my children. Yeah, so what we're saying is the best thing you can do for your children uh, in their life is to be a mom and dad who are actively, intentionally growing as image bearers of God, being conformed to the image of His Son, uh, developing yourselves as believers in faith. Anything else is dwarfed by comparison. Yeah, I you know the, the image that just came to mind. It's just a uh, analogy, but again, this is it gets back to C.S. Lewis. Actually, mere Christianity. You know that as a parent, as I look and as I marvel at God, that is going to be contagious to my children. As I'm, mm. as I am standing astounded at who God is and at what He has done, as I am marveling at that in my life, that is what's going to be contagious, if you will, to my kids and and draw them into wanting to know God themselves. Whereas if I just say, you know, if I throw this analogy, if I throw a painting up on the wall and I say, oh, it's there, and every now and then we look at it, then, you know, but it's not really, it's not my life as a parent. Well, our kids are going to pick up on that. And so, you know, we're... Yeah, so I was going to say, like, going off what you said, our kids catch our loves, right? They catch our desires. Mm. So the things that we love... That's a really powerful... Wow, that's convicting. (laughs) It is. It is because... (sighs) We know that we don't, I mean, look at our, just think about ourselves right now. We know that we don't always desire and love yeah. God the absolute most. Um, but yeah, so they, they catch that. They sense it and they catch it. And uh, yeah. Yeah. And so to your point, we should make very clear that, that, you know, part of this whole growing in faith thing is as a parent is this isn't a performance thing or a perfectionist thing. That part of growing in faith is letting your kids see you struggling in your faith, letting them see you repenting for sin. And, yeah. and that, that that's you know we'll talk about you know apologizing when you've wronged your your spouse or when you've wronged the, the child, letting them see not a perfectionist uh, parent who's performing so perfectly for God, but letting them see the real life uh, you know struggle with sin and and to give our our lives to God. That is actually part of the growing in faith is not mm. being perfected. But um, you know, or, or being perfectionistic, I should say, but rather letting our kids see the authentic ways that we're growing by God's grace, not by our own self, uh, you know, work. Yeah, and I've heard from so many uh, parents with young adult kids that that was one of the biggest things mm. in their children's growth and faith: um, seeing their parents repent, apologizing their parents in their own struggles, but leaning wholly on God through those mm-hmm. and just seeing the grace of God and God's love for us and their parents' love for God 
um, just blossoming and thriving in the midst of that. Amen. Well, we are out of time for today. This has been, Kathleen, think this has been fantastic. And so I hope that uh, for you, the, the uh, listeners out there, that this conversation has encouraged you and that it, it stimulated your own thoughts about integrating faith into your everyday life. Uh, as always, we want to remind you uh, that we are, uh, that the Conversation for Life, it is a listener-supported podcast ministry of Cross Life, so we welcome your generous giving. You can always check us out uh, at www.crosslifetoday.org for more resources, more information, and if you'd like to make a donation, that would be great too. Uh, we look forward to seeing you guys next week. Take care and God bless.